Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to talk about our root system tonight. I want to talk about our root system because without a root system, there's a a lack of stability. And you know, Pastor has been talking about the character roots, uh, but I want to talk about uh, how faith works as a root for us tonight. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren... You be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable. Is that possible? The word gives us the ability to be steadfast. This command alone is enough of a spiritual supply to put it in my heart and put it in my mouth and say according to 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I am steadfast. I am unmovable. This is an instruction, but it has its basis in the previous verse. Let's back up and read the previous verse now that we see our instruction. It says, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory. Gives is a present tense. Every time you read it, it will be present tense. So when you read it two weeks from now, It will still be talking about right now, here in this moment, God gives us the victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we have a, a continual present tense victory, we can be steadfast and unmovable. That's where we find our steadfastness. That's where we find the fortitude to be unmovable in any situation, in any adversity, in any onslaught of the enemy. The ability to be steadfast is found in the victory that God is constantly giving us in Christ Jesus. Victory is as much a part of our inheritance as healing. It is as much a part of our inheritance as prospering prosperity. It is as much a part of our inheritance as freedom from sin. Victory is something that Jesus obtained for us. He didn't need it. He was the second person of the Godhead already in a position above all of the power of the enemy. But he came to this earth to be our Waymaker, to be our intercessor, to be our high priest. He came into this earth to be our redeemer. And he, he worked the victory that he worked on the cross, triumphing over Satan and every principality and power and ruler of darkness. Jesus triumphed over them for the purpose of you and I walking in that triumph. And because God gives us the victory every day, 24-7, 365, God gives us the victory, we can be steadfast and unmovable. Unmovable. That's, what, that's our, our instruction. That's our objective. Unmovable. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm not moved by the circumstance. I'm not moved by the pressure of the situation. I am unmovable because the victory is already mine. It's already mine. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23.
our victory in that we have in Christ will not waver because Jesus is the holder of it, the obtainer of it, and he distributes it to us. God gives us the victory continually. Hebrews 10 and verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Hold fast is telling us about being steadfast and unmovable. One of the most important areas for us to be steadfast is in the profession of our faith, the declaration, the confession of our faith. One of the most important places for us to be unmoved is in our mouth. That I'm not going to move the faith out of my mouth to put the doubt in it. I'm not going to move the report of the Lord out of my mouth to put the report of the situation in it. I'm going to be steadfast in the report of the Lord. I'm going to be steadfast in the declaration of faith. I'm going to be steadfast in saying the same thing that God has already said about me. We've got to hold it fast. And if you've been walking by faith any length of time, you've had experiences that have arisen in your life attempting to move you away from what you once believed, to move you away from what you were saying and try to get you to say something that violates what God promised you. And the pressure of it is real. Because the enemy is after the word in our mouth. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy the word. If it's in our mouth, it's because it was first in our heart. So he puts pressure against the mind, thoughts, attacks, situations, and circumstances that bring the pressure, the anxiety, the fretting, the worry, the cares of this world to try to steal and to kill and to destroy the word that God has deposited in our heart. But God says it doesn't matter what the enemy brings against you. If you'll hold it fast, he can't take it from you. If you'll hold it in your mouth, he can't move it away from working in your life. He can't stop the working of the word if he can't stop you working it. The only way he stops the working of the word is to get you to stop working it. And so if you'll hold fast... I want to read this one from the Amplified. It says, so let us seize and hold fast and retain. That's important because it's not a grabbing and then loosening my hold on something. He says, I need you to grab it. I need you to seize it. I need you to bring it into your possession. And I need you to retain it in your possession. And the greatest example I can give you is the football players when the football fumbles on the field. If they fumble that ball, the nearest player grabs it, falls on it, jumps on it from, 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 with all of his might. He's not caring about how hard he hits the ground. His more, most important thought at that moment is, I've got to get that ball in my possession. And so he will jump on it knowing that other men are about to jump on his back and squish him at the bottom of that pile. And he, but he is so determined to gain possession. And you know why they're piling on? It's because in, the, in that pile, the opposing team is trying to reach under him. They're trying to, to pull and poke him in the eyes and, and dig around. They're like, give me the ball. He's on it. He's got it in his arms. But all of these men, with all of their pressure, are jumping on him, trying to pull it from his grasp. And that's what, we're the ones grabbing that ball. We're the ones saying, I'm holding on to this ball with every ounce of strength I have. I'm seizing it. I'm holding it fast. And when, the, when they peel this pile person by person off of me, they're going to find out I still got it. I'm still holding it. I believe God. I believe God. Hallelujah. 
That's the, the seizing, the holding fast, the retaining. And notice he says this in the Amplified, without wavering. That's be steadfast. Steadfast people aren't up and down, in and out, here and there. They're steadfast. Always the same. And we're talking about our faith. We want steadfast faith. We don't want our faith waning. We don't want our faith strong on Monday and then we've, we've lost the ball on Tuesday. And we got to go around and hope that the enemy's going to fumble it back. No, we're steadfast, seizing, holding fast and retaining without wavering the hope we cherish and confess and our acknowledgement of it. For he who promised is reliable, sure, and faithful to his word. Notice the reason that we can be un unmovable and steadfast from 1 Corinthians is because God always gives us the victory. Present tense victory is available every day. And here it says we can hold fast the declaration because he's faithful to his word. Because he's faithful and reliable and sure to the word, we can hold on to it. We can hold on to it. Why? Because God's not letting it slip. What God has said is established. What God has said is written. What God has said is, is established in heaven. It is, it is uh, settled, the Bible says. The word is settled. It's not up for discussion. It's not under investigation. It's not, it's not under warranty that perhaps it's going to expire and become out of date and no longer applicable. No. No, no, the word of God is settled. And because that's what's in my mouth, I can hold it there. Amen. I don't have to change it. Why? Because what I have in my mouth is an eternal substance. If I have the word in my mouth. If I have the problem in my mouth, that's a temporal subject. It's subject to change. If I have the problem in my mouth, I have something that is changeable in my mouth. I have something that is unstable unreliable in my mouth but if I have the word in my mouth if what I'm speaking is in line with what he has already said then I am establishing God's will in the situation but I have to hold it look at your neighbor and say I have to hold it I have to hold it hold the declaration hold the confession or the acknowledging of the truth hold it in your mouth no matter what you feel like no matter what it looks like, no matter what pressure comes against you, hold it in your mouth because it's God's word you're holding in your mouth. And it's, it's your victory. Hallelujah. Without wavering means not inclining, not to the left, not to the right, not being swayed, not being irresolute, not being undecided. But I am steadfast. I am unmovable. Why? Because I know what I'm believing is God's word. I know what I'm declaring is God's word. Look with me at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Again, because it's in the scripture, you can do that. I can do that. I can do that just by the power available in this verse. I can take James chapter 1 and verse 6 and I can put it in my heart and I can bring it forth out of my mouth and say, Father, according to James chapter 1 and verse 6, it is possible you told me that I can ask with nothing wavering. So despite what I feel and despite what I see, I believe God. And I'm not going to waver from what you've said to me, Lord. I'm not going to waver from what you promised me. I'm not going to waver because of situations or circumstances that are trying to change my words and change my thoughts. I'm going to hold it in 
place in my life. I'm going to hold it in position in my life so that it can affect change for me. If, if He says, ask in faith, nothing wavering. And then he begins to discuss the difficulties of the dangers that are produced when we waver. It says, he that wavers is like a wave of the sea. Well, you know, I've been to the beach a couple of times. And I've never been to the beach and seen the same wave in the same address ever. The wave that, that came across my feet, it was never the same wave at that same address. It, it, waves don't have permanent residences. They have no root system. They have no stability. They are fluid. They are moved. They are changed. They're changed by the wind. They're changed by the circumstances or the atmosphere around them. So he says that a person who wavers is like a wave of the sea. They are driven with the wind. Or you could say moved, moved, influenced, directed by the wind. And the wind is referring to what is happening around you. The situation around you, the atmosphere, the climate around you. It should not be what dictates our behavior. The atmosphere around us needs to be changed by what's on the inside of us. What is in us is greater than what is around us. Greater is he who is in me. And I establish his will in my situation and I can dominate that situation and tell it how it's going to go. Now your situation wants to tell you how it's going to end up. But it's not the boss. It's not your boss. You don't have to obey your situation. Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, His will is what we bring into effect in our lives. So the one who wavers is like a wave of the sea. Moved, influenced, changed, directed by the climate the wind, and because of that, they are tossed. We don't want tossed lives. We don't want our lives tossed. We don't want our lives shaken. God doesn't want our lives tossed. The word waver means to sway to and fro, to become unsteady. Notice, become unsteady. It was once steady, but when the wavering begins, it becomes something it wasn't. It becomes unsteady. To feel or to show indecision. To fluctuate or vary. God says, ask and don't waver. Ask and refuse the wavering. Ask and resist the wavering. Don't participate with it. The opportunity to waver might come to your mind. The emotions might put pressure on you to waver. But you don't have to give in to your soul. You don't have to give in to the pressure. The fluctuating, the indecision, the varying is an option. It's not a requirement. I'm helping you tonight. I'm telling you, it is an option, not a requirement. You can opt out of it. So if you see wavering on your multiple choice, mark that one. I'm not choosing that one. Not for me. That's not an option for me. Wavering, not in my house, not in my life. I'm not wavering. I'm not leaving the truth I have. I'm not leaving the light that I have to follow what my feelings say. I'm not leaving the light of the Word of God to follow after what the, the, the crowd is following after, I'm going to stay with what God said. Yeah, but it doesn't look like. Hey, we do not walk by sight. 
the one translation says never by appearance. Never by appearance. Well, it appears. Well, that is not my decision maker. I don't pull that in and into my equation and equate it out with adding it to the word. I don't add the, the things I see in, well, the word says, but. That, that's not supposed to be in my equation. That's not supposed to be a part of, of how I figure out the outcome. This has enough factors to factor my outcome without me adding anything else to it. God's promise is enough for me to make my decision of where I stand. Hallelujah. So he says, the wavering person is driven and tossed. Verse 7, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. The one who wavers will not be receiving of the Lord. And it's not because the Lord is angry at the wavering. It's not because the Lord is withholding from them because he disapproves of the wavering. It's because the wavering is moving the person and every time God brings the answer, they're no longer at the address that they were once speaking from. Your voice, with faith-filled words, your voice sends out the signal of faith and the answer is coming to the faith address. If you leave that address and fluctuate and you're driven away from that address of faith, then the answer came to the address, but it's going to find an empty house. Nobody's there anymore. So we have to stay at the address of faith because this is where the answer's coming. I can't be moved because the answer's on its way here. So he says, let me read the Amplified. Let me read the Amplified here. It says, let not that man think. Let me finish in the, the verse 8. Verse 7 of the King James says, Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Can you give me 7 in the Amplified there? For truly... Let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. For being as he is, a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute, he is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks feels, and decides. The person who wavers, it will affect their whole life. It said everything he thinks, feels, and decides is going to be affected by this unreliableness, this irresoluteness, this fluctuation, this, this varying is going to spill over into every aspect of their lives. But it is possible for us to develop to the point that we are steadfast and unmovable. I'm going to read 7 and 8 from the Kenneth E. Weiss translation, the expanded New Testament. It says, but let him be presenting his request in a trusting attitude, not in an expression of that hesitation which vacillates between faith and unbelief and inclines towards unbelief. For the person who vacillates between faith and unbelief is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that individual be supposing that he shall receive anything from the presence of the Lord, being a dubious, undecided man, vacillating in all his ways. All his ways. So do you see... That this is, uh, when I, I shared with you from my testimony how the Lord showed me that dominoes. 
how I had, uh, we had experienced the difficulty in the church and we had some people who had left the church. It, it changed the whole budget of the church and, and there was a lot of recession going on in the world at the time and, and we, this was before we had come out of debt so we had payments and things that we had to pay and so I went to get a job uh, outside of the church and I was still doing my responsibilities at the church I had just started coming down here on a regular basis and it was uh, to do some interviews with sister Jeannie it was before we had started our broadcast and it was it was a very difficult time because of all of the um, the the natural pressures that were coming against me and I was dealing with it with without the the spiritual strength that I should have been dealing with it and I was dealing with it out of my emotions and dealing with it with natural choices and so I was doing what I knew to do in the natural and I remember driving to this job and it was an evening uh, shift and so I got done with my responsibility singing uh, in the evening service and I left the church and I got in the car and I'm driving and I'm, I'm on the way to this place of employment. I'm, I'm crying. I have a worship song on and I was, I was telling myself I was worshiping, but I wasn't thinking about God. I was singing and I was crying, but I wasn't thinking about God. I wasn't thinking about how good he was. I wasn't thinking about how faithful he was. I wasn't thinking about how steadfast he was and how he loved me and how he'd provided for me. I was thinking about, I'm losing my ministry. I'm losing the call of God. Well, everything that's going on, it's not fair what these people and their choices has done to our church. It's not fair what we're going through right now. It's not fair what the, the weight that we're having to carry. So it was gloom, despair, and agony on me. I was, I was singing my blues, and I was singing it to a worship song. So I'm, I'm, I'm Paul that also yours. It's a Hispanic worship song by Marcos Witt called All-Powerful God. <laughs> I'm singing about the power of God, but I'm crying about how my life is falling apart. And in the middle of me crying, I've already cried all my makeup off. And I'm, I'm on my way. I'm halfway to Topeka. I was uh, from DeSoto. I worked in Topeka at that time. And so I'm on my way there. And all of a sudden... The Lord shows me, it was a flash, but he showed me so much in that flash of a moment. He showed me the dominoes. And those dominoes were all stacked up and that first domino fell. And it, 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 as it fell, all of the other dominoes stacked behind it started to fall. And one by one, they fell in a row. And the Lord said, if you don't get a hold of yourself and start working the faith principles you know, this is going to affect everything you believe until you are going to question if God ever saved you. You're going to question if you ever were really saved. And it was like cold water waking me up. I wiped my tears. I repented to the Lord. And I went home and got my faith pants on. I went out and got all my faith faith instruments back out and I started working the principles that I knew and within a matter of, of a few weeks I'd given I, I, I gave my notice and went back to work at the church and of course I was still doing all my responsibilities but I wasn't able to take a check so I just decided if, I, if the money wasn't there to take a check I'd sew it I was going to work my job and I would sign the check back to God and that's what I did uh, uh, and uh, it was during that time that the contract came across my desk and the opportunity VTN offered, would you like to do your own television program and we will produce it. If I had not gotten a hold of myself, if it would, that, that doubt that was attacking that area of my life, it would have been the dominoes that went all the way back to my foundation. It affects every area. Your faith in one area affects your faith in every area. 
And this is, an, this is why we can't play with it. We can't, we can't treat it lightly. We can't say it doesn't matter. We've got to give the honor to the privilege God has given us. We are people of faith. We have, we have the God kind of faith. God's faith. The faith that is operative in you and I, it is the same faith that God used when he created the world. He didn't give us a, a low-grade, lightweight, watered-down, generic form of faith. No, the same faith that Brother Copeland is using, we have. The same faith that Brother Hagen operated, we have. The same faith that Smith Wigglesworth walked in, we have. The same faith Jesus has, we have. Hallelujah. We just have to be skilled with it the way that Jesus was. We have to be skilled with it the way that God is. And this is what he's saying. The skill is in the holding fast. The skill is in the being steadfast and unmovable. Now, I want to take a look here at Matthew 14. Let's begin in verse 24. Matthew 14 and 24. But... The ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. Now, it wasn't Jesus' idea. Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, come. Peter initiated this. He said, if it's you, what is Jesus going to say? It's not me, stay in the boat. If it's you, bid me come. Okay, come on. So he gives him the word, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Hallelujah. He walked on the water. He's got one up on me. He walked on the water. We don't know how long he walked on the water. He walked on the water long enough that it didn't say he took one step and sank. It says he walked. So he took enough steps for it to make the book as walking. For it to be testified here in Matthew's account that Peter walked on the water. They didn't say, you know, Peter, he was out there posing. He was out there. He got out there and he, he was like, I'm going to come on the water. And boom, he went down. No, he walked and they saw him walk. And now this testimony is here in the eternal scriptures that Peter walked on the water. So the word worked for him. The word was working. And God didn't pull back the power of the word. He didn't, he didn't run out of power to walk on. What happened to stop the walking that he was successfully experiencing, this supernatural ability to walk on water? How is it that he went from steadfastly walking on the water to what we know happened to him? Well, let's read it. Verse 30. When he saw. Why was he looking at that? Why did he see that? When he saw the wind. Well, you know, I've never seen wind. Have you ever seen wind? 
We say, you know, I saw the wind blowing, but what we really mean is I saw the leaves that were blown by the wind. I saw the tree branches that were knocked down by the wind. But we, we really don't see wind. We see what the wind is doing. And he was looking at what the wind was doing. He was looking at how it was moving the water. He was looking at how it was causing the waves to crash into the boat. He was looking at the chaos that, the, that it was producing. The climate around him, the situation, the circumstance had nothing to do with his ability to walk on water. If it had been no wind, I would still be impressed that he walked on water. <laughs> I'm not impressed because he walked in the water in the wind. Do you see what I'm saying? What did the wind have to do with it? Nothing. It wasn't a deterrent. It wasn't, it, it, the wind was blowing like that before he started walking. So why pull it in and add it to the equation? Why pull that information in and determine I can't walk on water because of the way the wind is blowing? Or I can't be healed because of how my body's feeling. I can't be this because of whatever. No, 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 no. Pull all that. That is unnecessary information. Have y'all ever been in math class and they gave you a trick question? Remember when they made us learn word problems? One of my least favorite things. And Pastor Marie's not here. I can talk to y'all honestly and straightforward about how much I despised math when I was a kid. I've come a long way. Pastor Marie, she's a teacher, and math is her favorite thing. So, so we love math now. But in the day, word problems. Well, you know, sometimes the word problems, they would put information in the word problem that you didn't need. Like the train traveling at 470 miles per hour. I'm just making stuff up here. The traveling... Traveling at 120 miles per hour and it's going 72 miles and it just passed 47 cows. So at what time is that train going to reach the station? I don't need to know about the cows that it passed in the pasture on the way. I don't need to know about that. I don't need to know about the wind. The wind is unnecessary information. It has nothing to do with my water walking ability. Why would I look at that? Why would I focus on that? Why would I give my attention to that? Even if it had been calm, glassy seas, walking on the water is a miracle. It is supernatural. So the wind was not the issue, but that's what he looked at. And because he looked at it, it, it caused him to change. He changed what he believed. He was in faith, but the Bible says he was afraid after he looked at the wind. So instead of being steadfast and unmovable and holding fast his declaration, he should have said, I don't care what the wind is doing. Jesus said, come. He should have held that in his mouth. Jesus said, come. So here I come, Lord. Here I come. Here I come, Lord. I'm coming to you. I'm not looking at the waves. I'm not looking at the wind. I'm not looking at what it's doing around me. I'm coming to you, Lord. You said, come, so here I come. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The perception changed when his attention was drawn to the circumstance and he wavered. And you remember what it said. The person who wavers not in receiving mode. Let not that man think he shall receive. God still loves him. God still loves that wavering person. But he can't get anything to them because they're not steadfast in place where faith can operate and bring to them the answer that they're believing for. So that's what we're developing. We're developing steadfastness. We're developing that unmove, un, the ability to be unmoved in any situation. 
So this instruction that God has given for us to be unmovable, to hold fast, to seize and retain, uh, we, we, he says that we've got to retain the word in our mouth, the profession of faith. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering it. Hold, and the word profession means saying the same thing. Hold fast to saying the same thing without wavering. Saying the same thing as God. Can I give you an example? Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Look at the second half of this verse. For he hath said. I want you to start right there in 5. of uh, Hebrews 13, 5. For he hath said. This is what God said. I will never leave you or forsake you. So what do you say? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do to me. He, he said so that you'll know what to say. He has said so that we may boldly say. So I'm to say the same thing that he said about my situation. That's the report of the Lord. Not because I see it. Not because I feel it. Not because the circumstance is reporting that to me it's because God said it so that's why I'm going to say it I'm going to hold it fast I'm going to seize it I'm going to retain it because that's what God said they had been in a hurricane force storm after the Apostle Paul said, we are not supposed to launch out from this bay, from this place where we are docked. We are not supposed to set sail today. And they said, you're just a prisoner. We're not listening to you. We think it looks fine. We think it appears like good sailing weather. We're the sailors. We are, I'm the captain of the ship, and I'm going to... I'm going to make the decision based on what I see and I say it looks like good sailing weather and I don't want to be stuck in this port. So we're going. And they went and they got out in the middle of their voyage and the hurricane force storms, the Amplified refers to it as a hurricane force of a storm, day after day after day after day. They had been in that storm so long and they were so worn out and so distraught. You know, you're not sleeping when, the storm, when, when you're wondering if it's going to tip the boat over any minute. You're, they're not sleeping right when they can't even hold their food down. They're not sleeping right when everybody's got seasickness because the sea is just upside down. And so day after day and night after night in this storm, and they have gotten so distraught and so panicked and so desperate that they have thrown off the ship all the food, all the cargo. They've even thrown off the sails and the rigging. Who's going to throw off the rigging of the ship? How are we going to control the ship when the storm stops? We're going to be stuck out in the middle of the ocean. Throw it off. And in the midst of this, the Apostle Paul comes up and says... The angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve, the angel stood by me today and gave me a word from God that none of us are going to die. The ship is going to fall apart, but we're all going to live. The storm is still storming. The, the waves are still crashing. The ship is still tossing. But Paul says, I believe, I'm not pulling my information based on the storm looks like it's lessening. So now's a good time to get up and say, I believe God. The storm, I, I, see, I see in the distance that the storm's breaking. No, no, no. Storm wasn't breaking. It continued until the ship broke. The storm wasn't breaking, but he got a word that canceled out everything he saw. He got a word from God that nullified every 
thing about the situation. It doesn't matter now that they've thrown off the rigging. It doesn't matter now that there's no food on this boat. That, that is not important. What's important is that I believe God. None of us are going to die. And I believe that was working when the viper attached to his arm. I'm not dying. And just fling it off. Why? Because he's still believing God. Everybody around him is saying, you must be a murderer because you have survived the shipwreck to come over here and be bitten by a viper. You must be a murderer. And he says, "Mm -mm. I believe God. He just shook it off. Why? Because God told him he was going to go and make make it to where he was intending to be. So that was unwavering. He was steadfast, unmovable. Hallelujah. Not double-minded, not irresolute, not vacillating, not changing his position from faith to unbelief and then back to faith, but he was steadfast in his thought and his action and his believing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Psalm 1. Let's talk about how to be steadfast. We saw some examples of wavering, an example of steadfastness, but let's look and find out the how to's. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walked not. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. The delight is in the word, and in the word he's meditating day and night. Can I give you the definition of meditate because it's not sitting on the floor with your legs crossed humming a tune the word meditate it it does have a mental operation but it's not just the mind it means to imagine ponder perceive and mutter The Strong's Concordance identifies here in the Old Testament the word mutter is part of the definition of meditating. So to be properly meditating, my mouth will be employed. Not just my mind, but my mouth. Did he say to hold fast the profession of my faith? My mouth is an application of my faith. Faith is not complete if I have not spoken. Faith is incomplete without the speaking. He said, we having the same spirit of faith, we believe, but that's not the end. That's part of the the faith application, but that's not the totality of the faith application. We believe and we speak. So the spirit of faith believes and speaks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The muttering is not speaking to convey any information to other people. Muttering is for you to deposit it back in your heart. You're speaking to yourself. If you hear somebody muttering something, they usually don't want you to hear what they're saying. Anybody ever had a teenager mutter? Like, what did you say? I can hear you. No, you, heard, you said something. I want you to repeat it for me. They didn't want you to hear it. They didn't mean for you to hear it. It was intended because they wanted to say it to themselves. Well, we're supposed to mutter the word. It says in the word, in the law, the, law, the, the word law means teaching instrument. In the word of God, 
we're muttering it. Not to tell somebody else what the word says, but just to remind ourselves, he is near that justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. You're muttering that and it's depositing it back into your heart. So he says, this person, this blessed person, they're not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. They're not standing in the way of sinners. They're not sitting in the seat of the scornful, but they're in the word and they're in the word and the word's in them. The, the word is in their mouth and in their imagination. And when I said the imagination has a mental operation, it's more of you seeing it in your spirit. Your mind will be a participant in that, but you've got to see it in your heart. Your heart has eyes. The eyes of your understanding being flooded with light, Ephesians 1 said. Your heart sees. Faith sees. Faith isn't blind. Faith isn't blind leaps. Faith sees. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I have evidence of it. Although I've never seen it with these eyes. But faith is the evidence. That my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I've got the scripture that has produced evidence in my heart. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, have you seen it? <laughs> yeah. Right here. Faith sees it. Faith sees it. Faith sees it. So this muttering, this pondering, this perceiving is a spiritual application. I'm applying the word in my spirit. And the result is I will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in season. My leaf will not wither and whatever I do shall prosper. Whatever he does shall prosper. Why? Because the word is the fuel. The word, he's holding fast. He's retaining and maintaining possession of the word by muttering it and perceiving it and, and, and participating with the word. And because of that, his way is prospering. Everything he puts his hand to do is prospering. Like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It's not the tree that's planted by a river of water. It can be a drought on the outside. But because its roots are in the water, it's planted by the water. It doesn't care what's happening on the outside. There's a park in, in uh, Kansas called Shawnee Mission Park. Pastor says they built that park for him because he runs in that park regularly and it's got hills. I mean, he was not moved by Arkansas hills because he's already ran the hills in that park. And so uh, I don't run the park, but I have walked it. And there's a path that I like to walk and it goes by a lake. And there is a tree there by that lake. Well, one summer it had not rained and it was probably July, but the first part of July, uh, maybe like 10 days into July, and because there had been no rain, trees were already shedding their leaves. They could not maintain the supply to their leaves. So here in July, we've got trees losing all of their leaves and so we're walking along this path and I'm remarking about how these trees are already dropping their leaves and it's still hot. It's, it's, it's not fall yet, but it was because of the lack of water. And then we came around the corner to where the lake was and there by the lake is this big, huge tree and it was full of all, full of, all of its foliage. It was, it was not dropping its leaves. 
It did not care how hot it was. It did not care that it hadn't rained because it wasn't feeling it. It wasn't depending on the rain from the outside situation to give it the supply it needed. Its supply was in the, in the lake water that it was planted next to. And so the word gives us the supply. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. We're connected to the supply of the word that is producing what we need. It doesn't matter what's going on in the economy, what's going on in the political realm. It doesn't matter what's going on in, in the community, uh, in the matter of how it's going to affect our lives. Why? Because our lives aren't receiving from that field. That's not what's feeding us. What's feeding us is the word. And so whatever we do will prosper. Hallelujah. But notice, day and night, day and night, I've got my attention on the word. I'm meditating it. I'm imagining, I'm pondering, I'm perceiving, I'm muttering the word. Joshua 1.8. These are familiar, but they should never become... Uh, old hat to us they're familiar because it's good eating I'm never going to turn down mashed potatoes it's good eating thank you thank you put that gravy on there it's good eating Joshua 1.8 is good eating all the time. It's always good. You just pull Joshua 1.8 and mm, mm, good. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law. Again, the word law is talking about God's teaching instrument. The word. The word of God shall not depart out of your... Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Hold fast the word in your mouth. Hold fast that that God has said so that we may boldly say. The word in your mouth is how we meditate. Shall not depart out of your mouth. Shall not depart out of your mouth. In the mouth, the word is activated. In the mouth, the power is is released it's in the the declaring it's in the confessing it's in the authorizing of the word faith is voice activated we've got to speak the word we've got to say the word you might not feel it it's not for the feeling it's for the speaking you shall meditate same word that we saw from Psalm 1 Perceive, imagine, meditate, mutter. You shall mutter therein, day and night. If you you say it, your mind has to think it. If If you speak it, your mind, your mind might be trying to think on something else. But if you'll put the word, whatever you're saying, your mind has to stop whatever it's trying to worry about and think about what you just said. You have to employ the mind. You have to trigger the mind to make it, uh, 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 I'm going to say this. It's been a while since I told this one, so I'll tell it again. I had been dealing with a difficult situation with one of our children, teenager, making some decisions that were unsafe and, and uh, very traumatic. And so we had been, you know, walking through that and uh, dealing with the situation. And even though I knew what that person needed to do and I was telling them what they needed to do, they weren't listening to me. And so I was sitting in the bed, laying, trying to go to sleep, trying to go to sleep. And I was thinking about how I could fix their problem if they would just listen to me. And I was meditating on how all of the the danger that they were putting themselves in. Well, pastor, he had cast his care upon the Lord and he'd been asleep for a while. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know I need to go. I've got so much to do tomorrow. I cannot sit here all night long 
worrying about this situation that I don't even have the power to change because they're not listening to me. So me worrying about it's not doing anything but just wearing me out. But every time I would try to roll over and go to sleep, I would say, Father, I cast the care upon you and I'm going to sleep. And I would roll over and just a few minutes later, I would find myself thinking about it. And I, it was like my mind kicked on without my permission. Involuntarily put me back over in that loop that I had been, because I had just gone through all of the same details in that loop. And I'm playing that loop over again in my mind, rehearsing if they would just listen to me here, she would just do this here. If, and I'm, I'm replaying that loop and I'm like, stop it, stop. Stop. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to be going through this in my mind. And so I do it again. I cast the care on you, Lord. And so it's almost midnight. And I'm still trying to cast the care and deal with my mind. I knew if I got up, I was going to wake Pastor up. So I thought, I can't get up because then if he's awake, he's going to be awake. And, and so I don't want to try to get up. So... I had memorized Psalm 91. I thought, you know what? I'm going to just sit here and whisper Psalm 91. I couldn't think it because thinking it wasn't working. Thinking it, I would try to think on, on the things of God, and it just moved me back over. My mind was, was in, in that worry momentum. So I started whispering it. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I'll the Lord he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowl of the noisome pestilence. A, 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 a thousand shall fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand. It shall not come near me. Only with my eyes shall I behold and see the reward of the wicked. And I was going through the scripture. I'm, I'm quoting this scripture and I get to the end of it and, and just start it over again. I, I just decided my mind has gotten so out of control that I'm not going to give it any liberty. I'm going to dominate it with the word until I get it under control. And I quoted Psalm 91 multiple times. I'm, I don't even know how long it was before I finally got it, but it was multiple times. I'm going to say at least 12 or more times before my mind submitted to me. And I repented to the Lord and said, Lord, I will never again allow my mind to get so carnal and out of control so that it won't obey what my spirit tells it to do. And I've endeavored since that time to maintain the, my thought life and not allow. Because what happens, you can't stop a locomotive on a dime. You gotta, it takes a while. You get that locomotive going... The weight and the force of that locomotive, you've got to work to slow it down to stop it. That's what happens with worry. I had allowed the momentum of worry like that locomotive to get such a momentum in my thought patterns that I was having difficulty shutting it down and getting it to stay in a place of peace. Not today. I don't let my mind get like that. I endeavor. I, I repented to the Lord and I began to take control of those thoughts and didn't allow, allow my during the day so that at night when I needed to, we're going to sleep now, I'm not sitting around thinking about that because I haven't been thinking about it all day. The reason I was doing that is because that's what I'd been doing all day long. It, working going through my regular business during the day, but in the back of my mind, that wheel was spinning like a hamster. He says, day and night in the word, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. If you put it in your mouth, I had to put the word in my mouth to, to dominate my thoughts. The word in your mouth will dominate what you're thinking. But you will meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Can you see yourself with it? Can you see yourself do it? If not, 
get back in the word. Brother Hagen said, if you can't see yourself with the desired petition that you've made, the word has departed from your eyes. We talked about that in women's meeting yesterday. If you can't see yourself with the thing that you requested of the Lord, the word is departed. He says, by meditating in the word, I can see myself doing it. When, when the Lord brought us out of debt, by the time he got us to that point, I could see it. I couldn't tell you how it was going to happen, but I knew it was going to happen. I could see it. Praise God. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Psalm 1 said that you'll prosper in everything you do. Joshua 1.8 says you will make your way. You will make your way prosperous. Well, we know it's because of the fuel of the word. It's not me and myself and my ability. It's the word working in me. But because the word is in me, I'm going to direct towards the right thing. I'm going to go towards the right uh, direction. You'll make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. Hallelujah. That word in the mouth is the key to being steadfast. The word will hold you in place. The word will hold you steadfast. If you'll hold the word in your mouth, the word will hold you in a place of faith. Hallelujah. I believe I've helped.